Joshua, the sixth chapter. Start our reading in verse 15. We are going to finish up our series tonight, Possessing Your Promise. Joshua 6, and it came to pass on the seventh day that they arose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. came to pass at the seventh time when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. The city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein. To the Lord, only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in her house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed, when you take of the accursed thing, and make the camp of Israel accursed, and trouble it. But all the silver, the gold, the vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord, so the people shouted, with the, shouted when the priests blew their trumpets, and it came to pass. When the people heard the sound of the trumpet and blew, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall of that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Amen. What a great day there in Israel. Amen. Turn to a few people, shake their hands as you're seated this evening. Man, this is uh, part four of Possessing Your Promise. The first part uh, we talked about, we had to have the right mindset. If you're going to go over into the promised land, you've got to be mentally prepared uh, to do that, to even face the giants and to not view yourself as a grasshopper, but view the giant as a grasshopper in the sight of our God. Uh, and so you have to have the right mindset. And then uh, part two we talked about, once that happens, we have to consecrate ourselves because we're going to be going with God. If we want him to come and fight our battles and fight with us, alongside of us, we have to consecrate ourselves uh, to be uh, invite him in his presence in our lives. And so in doing that and uh, us consecrating ourselves individually, what ends up happening is we draw closer together because we are all focused on the same thing, we're all trying to get closer to Jesus, and therefore uh, we will get closer together, laying aside our wants, our desires, our kingdom, and putting God's kingdom first, and therefore we will be united and work together as a team. Uh, last week, part three, we talked about uh, crossing over the Jordan and carrying the ark across on our shoulders, and we had to uh, take the stones out of the river and lay them up on the bank uh, to build a memorial. And anytime we're having a hard time in our life, we go back to Gilgal, go back to the memorial, and are reminded of what God had done for us. To uh, The purpose is to renew our faith, strengthen our faith, give us some more hope that we can go and face the battles that we are facing today. And so 
at any point, we need to go back to the altar and to refine, redefine our direction and get uh, our purpose from there. And so today, we are leaving Gilgal, and uh, we are going, which Gilgal obviously was the first place across the Jordan River where they built those memorial of the stones. Uh, Gilgal is the first place, but it is on the outskirts of the city of Jericho. And so now we're leaving Gilgal, we're headed towards Jericho. And as we know, Jericho was not just an ordinary city. Uh, It had walls surrounding it, and it is believed that they were at least 12 feet high and at least 6 feet wide of stone. Uh, wide enough where you can ride a chariot around the perimeter of it. Uh, And so it's not like you're going and fighting against a palisade wall of sticks. Uh, 6,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, fighting against, trying to tear down a wall that's 12 feet high and 6 feet thick is quite the task. It would be quite the task today in 2020 to tear down a wall like that. Uh, And so here they are. uh, This... Jericho, city of Jericho, is perfectly positioned to be the welcoming committee to anybody coming into the land of Canaan in that way. If you're coming in to conquer this place, we give you Jericho. If you can defeat Jericho, you can probably defeat us. And so this giant walled city, the message that Jericho sends is don't even think about it. You can't break down our walls, that you're not going to be able to defeat us. And so while Jericho may have pushed back other armies and drove fear into the minds of other nations, but not this time. This time Jericho wasn't facing just an ordinary city, uh, an ordinary people. They were not just facing another nation Jericho was facing a peculiar people, a holy nation. They were facing a redeemed people that God brought out of Egypt by the very hand of God himself. Jericho had never faced a people like this before. And even though Israel had never faced a Jericho before, they did face a Red Sea. They did face a Jordan River, and they single-handedly wiped out the world's superpower, Egypt. They had never faced Jericho before, but they had sure beaten up uh, some mightier enemies than Jericho had. Uh, And so that's like waking up tomorrow and America being reduced to a third-world country. That's what happened to Egypt. Egypt was the world superpower. Nobody messed with Egypt. And all of a sudden, one day, Egypt is a third world country now. They have nothing left, literally nothing left. And that's what God did to the enemy of Israel. And even though Jericho was the toughest city in the land, Israel was in Gilgal, and Jericho was in the next place that they were headed. And so the soles of Joshua's feet were getting ready to tread upon the city of Jericho. And now Jericho looks big and tough with its giant walls and, and stones, walls of stone. But that's not what Jericho was thinking. That's not what was in their mind. Even though they may have looked strong, they were not strong. 
How do we know this? Because Rahab tells us in Joshua uh, chapter 2, it says, And she said unto the man, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and all the inhabitants of the land are faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the, the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that, that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. You see, the men of Jericho were not standing on top of its walls of stone and saying, we're going to wipe them people out. They were not saying that. They were hiding behind the walls saying, please, oh please don't come here. Don't stop here. Just keep on walking by. There's nothing to see here in Jericho. Please keep on going. But you would never know that looking from the outside. All that you would see were the giant walls, and you would think, man, what a, what a tough city it is. And, and just uh, how the men of Jericho were is exactly how uh, the enemy of our soul is today. The enemy may look big, and they may look tough, and they may look scary in our eyes, but that's not what the enemy is really thinking what they're really thinking is, please, oh, please, don't come over here. Don't come over here into my neighborhood. Don't do a prayer walk down my street because the enemy knows that there is nothing that they can do against the people of God. There's nothing they can do to stop us. Once our mind is made up, once we got God on our side, the God of heaven will fight for us. And so the enemy is actually secretly saying and thinking, please don't come over here. Please don't come into my neighborhood. Please stay home. Don't come here because I won't be able to stop you if you come here with your God. And so we have the power, ladies and gentlemen. We have the victory as the children of God. There is not a, a devil or a foe that can defeat us. But as long as we keep on walking by faith and not by sight, we can have the victory because God is, will be fighting for us. And the enemy really knows that it ha they are no match for us. We have to understand that, that God can wipe them out with a the snap of his fingers, but somehow we, we see the big giant enemy and we think, wow, look how big and tough they are. But really in their minds, uh, they're not thinking that they're tough. They know. They know the truth. They know when, when uh, Jesus confronted all the demon-possessed uh, people, they said, please, not, it's not our time yet. Please don't send us out. Please don't, because they know. And we have that same power inside of us. And so we are the ones that have to realize uh, who we are and who God is and who's on our side. And, and once we realize that, we can march into the, to the darkest places of our city and there's nothing that the devil would be able to do to stop us. Because that's what the devil knows. He's just hoping that we don't realize that ourselves. And so 
we see in our text that they are starting to march around the, the city of Jericho, the first uh, major city in the promised land. Uh, for six days, they were to walk around it once per day and then go back to their tents. But on the seventh day, it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the, the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times, only on that day they compassed it seven times. And it came to pass the seventh time when the priest blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. And we know that the walls came tumbling down. And, and in seven days, the might the mighty city of Jericho was defeated in seven days. And those impenetrable walls melted like wax in the power of the presence of Almighty God. And the city was given to the Israelites. In seven days, God gave them the victory, all without Israel breaking a sweat. He gave them victory. How long would it have taken Israel to defeat Jericho if they followed after their own plans and their own strategies and, and battle attacks and formations? How long would it take Israel to tear down the walls by themselves without God? And so I don't even know what kind of plans it would take to, to besiege such a walled city, but I can guess that it would take a lot longer than seven days. And so how many Jerichos do we have in our life? And how many of them are we trying to take down ourselves? With our own plan of attack, without God's plan. Because if we do things God's way, it's going to go down, it's going to work a lot easier. Walking around and not breaking a sweat and the walls of Jericho fall down. God has a, a plan to defeat our enemy. He has a plan to give you victory over your situation. And it will be a lot more effective than our plan will ever be. But we just have to listen and we just have to obey even when it might not make sense to us. That kind of gets where we get hung up. It, that doesn't make any sense. Why would I do that? Uh, for six days, walk around the city one time, and then on the seventh day, walk around it seven times, and then shout, and then the walls are going to fall down? doesn't make any sense, God. I'll just try my plan because that doesn't make any sense. And so God is not concerned with our opinions. If you haven't figured that out yet, he doesn't care what you think. He's not concerned about your feelings about his plan, about his will. He wants his will to be done. And if your will gets in the way, he'll just go on to somebody else. And then you can keep on griping and complaining as God moves on. Uh, but all he is looking for is somebody that will say, okay, Lord, I will go. Okay, God, I'll do it. I'll walk around the city once uh, for six days and seven days. I'll walk around seven times. That's all God is really looking for, just somebody to say, okay, Lord, let your will be done. I've tried my plans for long enough. They're still not coming to pass, but if I, maybe if I just give God's plan a try, they'll come to happen. Uh, and so that's all he's looking for. And the walls falling down was an incredible feat. What a way to boost the people's faith. What a way to improve the morale of the camp and, 
And to add an extra push to the momentum that we started in Gilgal, uh, getting that momentum going, uh, what a way to, to march right into the promised land, tearing down the, the, the toughest city in the land. That's a, that's a great plan, but, but there's always a twist. Uh, verse 17 says, And the city uh, shall be accursed, even it, all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are therein with her house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed, and when ye take the accursed thing, uh, make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. It talks, it uses the word curse like five times in one verse. That's pretty, pretty important there. Uh, but all the silver and gold vessels and brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord, and they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. And so God tells Joshua that the city is cursed. Everything in the city is cursed. The entire city is cursed. And so I want you to kill everything. Kill everything that breathes air is to be killed because it is cursed. And all the spoil, all the gold, all the silver, all the valuables of the city, take it directly into the house of God. Don't keep any of it for yourselves. It all goes to God. Now, you would think that if you wanted to boost morale and boost faith even more uh, to keep on fighting because, again, this is the first city, uh, you want to keep this momentum going, um, that the first city you come up against and you destroy it, let the people keep the gold and silver and all the valuables and let them go back to their camps and all excited and say, babe, look what I found. We're finally going to take that family trip because I got this big old nugget of gold from, from Jericho. Look at what I found. We have gold, silver, brass, and iron. I mean, we're, we're talking excited, man. People would really be on fire for God, and they'd really have even more momentum. Let's go get the next city. Uh, let's build that retirement fund finally and buy that bigger house. Let's go conquer another city uh, and really start having that momentum on their side, right? That's what you would think. But instead, God says it's all cursed. And all the valuables, bring it to God's house. You're not to touch any of it. Why? Because Jericho was the first city in the promised land. And God has a funny thing about firsts. He has something special. There's something about firsts that he, he likes. Exodus 13 and 1, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both man and of beast, it is mine. The first, it is mine. Exodus 23, 19, the first of the first fruits of thy land shalt thou bring into the house of the Lord thy God. The first of the first fruits bring to the house of God. Leviticus 27 and 30, and all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the land, uh, fruit of the tree is the Lord's, 
It is holy unto the Lord. The first of anything and everything is God's. God says it's mine. The first of the first fruits, it's mine. And so, uh, rereading now back to Joshua 6 and 19, but all the silver, gold, vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into that treasury of the Lord. And so Jericho, the first city uh, that encountered into the promised land, was the first of the first fruit of the land. And its first fruit, as we read, the first fruit belongs to God. And so uh, coming into the promised land, the first city that you're going to encounter is mine. I like first. God is first in everything. He was before everything. He's always been first place. And so that's why he says the first is mine because I'm first. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't change things. If God's not first in your life, he's still first. He doesn't care. He's still first. And so that's why he wants the first. He doesn't want second. He doesn't want leftovers. God is God, and he deserves first. Uh, and he'll never get accept, uh, seconds. He'll never accept seconds. That's why he says, I want all your heart or none of it. you got to give me all your heart because I don't take seconds because I'm first. Uh, Donald Trump might have an issue with that, but God's still first. He's still the greatest uh, and best. And so uh, he said, it's mine. Don't take this for yourself. Bring it into the house of the Lord. And so uh, we see in Exodus 13, 13, and, and every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. And all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou redeem. And so the donkey represents the unclean animals. But even the firstborn of the unclean animals, God says, that's mine. Still belongs to God because it's first. Every firstborn is mine. Every first fruit is mine. I don't care what it is, where it's come from. If it's the first, it belongs to me. But if it is an unclean animal, then it, it, he tells us, if it's an unclean animal, you need to redeem it with a lamb. And therefore, by redeeming it, uh, you gotta have to, you got to redeem the unclean with a clean animal. The lamb was a clean animal, and so the donkey is unclean. And so the firstborn of the donkey, you redeem that with a lamb. And so the unclean must first be redeemed. And so once you give God the first fruit, uh, that first fruit then redeems the rest of the harvest pays for the rest of the harvest. And so in matters of tithing, when you give your tithe, when you give God the first of your first fruit, that, uh, that offering, that tithe, then redeems the rest that you have. And so the other 90% is redeemed. The other 90% is blessed because you gave God what belongs to him. You gave him your first fruit. And so what did God say about Jericho? He said, the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. And so Jericho is cursed. It is a wicked city. The people are wicked. It is unclean. And so I guess maybe technically the whole promised land is unclean because 
the inhabitants of the promised land are not godly people. Uh, they commit wickedness and sin against God, and so it is all unclean. And so the promised land is unclean, it's cursed, but if you give me the first of your first fruit, if you give me what belongs to me, uh, your tithe, your first fruit, that will redeem the rest of it. And so the first fruit will, will lift the curse off of the rest. And so you can have the rest of the cities of the promised land, but the first one is mine. And that's how I know if you are uh, uh, going to adhere to my word, that is how I know you'll be faithful to my word. If, if you can give me your first, I know that I can trust you. But if you, can, if you don't give me your first, then uh, your words aren't matching your, your actions. You say you love God, but then are you, do you really give God everything? And so uh, if God can have your first, then he knows uh, he has your heart. And so, uh, so what happens when we don't give God our first fruit? What happens when we hold on to it and keep it for ourselves? Imagine this. What would happen... If God did not offer the firstborn of creation as a redeeming sacrifice. Jesus, by the way, is the firstborn of creation. Jesus was the first, and so who does the first belong to? It belongs to God. Imagine if God never came and robed himself in flesh because he said, oh, I just want to keep it for myself. What would happen if God kept back from coming, kept back Jesus, if God said, instead of going to the earth and dying, I'll just stay here because it's me anyways. Uh, what would happen is there would be no redemption for the unclean. There would be not any hope for us because the first of the first fruit was not sacrificed. It was not given to God, and therefore we have no redeeming power uh, nothing can save uh, the unclean. And so if Jericho is not given to God, then there's going to be a whole lot of issues in the rest of the land. Uh, because uh, nothing will have been redeemed. Uh, the promised land will become known as the problem land. When you don't give God what belongs to him, you're not living in the promised land anymore. You're living now in the problem land. And it's our own fault because we don't give God what he asks. Uh, and so all that can be sorted out when through our faith and our obedience we give, uh, we give God what belongs to him. And so we have the power to redeem the rest in our lives. We have the power to lift the curse that this world places on everything. And that is... Uh, by giving it to God, we have the power to redeem things in our lives as long as we give God our first. Exodus 13 and 13, uh, in, in every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. And so if the first fruit is not given to God because it's his, the first is God's, not only will nothing be redeemed, but you're going to lose it anyways. You're going to lose it anyways. Redeem it or break its neck. Those are your two options. 
There's no option where you get to keep it. Give it up, give it to God, or you break its neck. And so if you don't give it, you're going to lose it. And so God is going to get what's his regardless. He just hopes you give it voluntarily because he doesn't want to take it. Uh, but he's after what's his. Uh, and so um, either we cheerfully give it to God or we keep it and things get broken and we lose things. Uh, because everything is still cursed and we've, we've kept that lamb for ourselves, the lamb has the power to redeem and the power to curse. And so why would I want to hold on to the lamb? Why would I want to hold on to what belongs to God, what he's looking for? Uh, and so uh, why would I want the lamb in my bank account? Get this lamb out of my account as quickly as possible. Because that's what belongs to God. Because if I don't get it out, then I don't, it's not going to redeem it. Then it's what's going to happen. We've got to break its neck. And I don't need my checking account's neck broken. So we've got to give to God what's, the, what's God's. Because it's the first, first fruit. And so what happens when we say, oh, I'll, I'll give my first fruit later. God, I'm going to give it later. I've got a couple other things going on this week. I got to make sure got enough in there and all this stuff and lots of this is that time of the month or whatever that it just all comes out. I'll give my first fruit later after everything clears. And cuz I could use some extra cushion, extra money in my account and what happens is is we start paying those bills and finally we get to to breathe and write out Jesus's check. Uh we don't have anything left to give them. And so now we're in a tough spot because we gave God's lamb to a sinner. And you, we've run out of money. We don't have anything to give him. He's looking for his first fruit. And we don't give to God what is his. If we don't give to God what is his, what does it say? We're going to lose it. Got to break its neck. Uh, and so we'll, we'll lose it and our life will will not uh, be as well as it should be. 90% redeemed is better than 100% cursed. 90% redeemed will go further than 100% cursed. Uh, I know the math may not make sense, but neither did walking around Jericho for six days, and then on the seventh day, blow the trumpets and the walls fell down. None of that makes sense, but God is just looking for somebody that will say, okay, Lord, uh, I'm, I want to give you what's yours. Uh, you're looking for the first of the first fruits, and so I want to give that to you. So therefore, the rest of everything that I have is redeemed, and then it'll also be blessed because uh, you uh, got what you were looking for. And so it may not always make sense. Numbers may not. Uh, uh, may, how, how is working with less going to go further than more? It may not make sense, but we know God is at control. God is at, at hand. And if as long as we're obedient and obeying God, uh, he can work things out. Amen? Is this if you would come? And so I don't want to ask for any volunteers that will show us the power and the curse of the first fruit. But thankfully the Bible volunteers somebody for us. Joshua chapter 7, but the children of Israel 
committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And so Achan took the accursed thing. He took the silver and the gold, and he took it back to his tent, and he buried it underneath it, and he hid it. Notice that God said that the silver and the gold are consecrated unto him. But when Achan is holding the silver and the gold, the Bible says it's accursed. He took that gold and silver to his tent, and the whole, the whole time it's accursed. But yet, when, it, when you give it to God, he says, it's consecrated unto me. As long as it's in our hands, it's going to be accursed. But once we bring it to the house of God and put it in God's hands, then that becomes consecrated and sanctified. Only God has the power to take something that is accursed and make it sacred, make it consecrated, and make it holy. We can't do that by holding on to it. The only way that we can do that is by giving it to God. And so Joshua and Israel did not know what Achan did. And so after destroying Jericho, the next city up on the map to be wiped out is Ai, and they've got the momentum, they've got the, the faith, they've got the passion, they've got the fuel, like, hey, let's all, we're, we're, we just wiped out this mighty city, let's go and wipe out Ai right off the map. And Joshua is so confident, he says, ah, just send about two or 3,000 guys and we'll just we'll mop this city out. It's not going to take much. We, see what we did to Jericho? Just send two or 3,000 guys over there. We'll wipe them out with our eyes shut, and uh, we'll just keep on moving. And what happened? Israel gets whooped. This tiny, tiny little city, this little village wipes out Israel. doesn't kill all of them, but just kills enough, 35, I can't remember, 35 or so. It kills enough of them that are thinking like, hey, this, this shouldn't be happening, like, Nobody died at Jericho, and here this little village is wiping us out. Something's not, something's not right here. Uh, Israel gets wiped out. Everything stops. All the momentum of Gilgal and Jericho, all that momentum, all that faith comes to a screeching halt. What in the world has happened? We just destroyed the most powerful city, and this tiny good-for-nothing village just mopped the floor with us. What is going on? Something is not right here. So they retreat. Joshua goes before the Lord and says, God, man, what, what in the world? Joshua 11, God answers. He says, Israel hath sinned. They have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken, taken of the accursed thing. And have also stolen and dissembled also. And they have put it even among their own stuff. They took my stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies. But turned their backs before their enemies. Because they were accursed. And neither will I be with you anymore. Except you destroy the accursed from among you. Israel, you're not going to have the victory 
in the promised land because the cities have not been redeemed yet. The cities have not been redeemed because Jericho was not completely given to me. The cities are still cursed, and because you took the accursed things for yourself and did not give them to me, now, Israel, now you are cursed. You won't be able to stand before your enemies because you're just like them now. You're cursed in the eyes of God, just like those rotten cities are. And so if you don't redeem it, what does it say? You might as well break its neck because God will get what belongs to him one way or another. But if he has to come and get it, if he has to break the donkey's neck, then it's not going to be fruitful for you. You stand with me tonight. Joshua 7. Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold. That, that's tempting there, a wedge of gold. And his sons took his daughters, his oxen, his asses, his sheep, and his tent, all that he had, and they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all of Israel stoned them with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with all stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. They even took his tent. They even burnt his tent and his pillow. Why? Why did God's fierceness turn? Why did his anger turn away? Because the Lord finally got what belonged to him. <clears throat> and since Achan stole from God, <clears throat> he was accursed. And he suffered the consequences of an accursed life. And so, God is looking for his part in it all. Really, if you get down to the brass tacks, everything is God's. We're lucky he only wants the first fruit back. He can say, I, I want I, I want 95% and you keep the five. He could say that and things would be a lot different today. But he didn't say that. He just says, give me what is mine, the first of the first fruits. Uh, and so as long as we are abiding by the law of God, uh, everything will work out in order. Uh, Exodus 13 and 13, this is where uh, it gets... Uh, Touching for us, and every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. If thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou re redeem. So we have to give God what is, what is his. Verse 14, and shall be when thy son asketh thee in, in time to come, saying, Why is this? Thou shalt say to him, By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt and from the house of bondage. Mom, Dad, why, why do we give to the church? Why do we give our tithe offering? Why, why do we do this? Well, let me tell you why we give. Because I wasn't always like this. I wasn't always in church. 
I wasn't always a, a good person, and I was a bad person. I did bad things. I was living a cursed life, but God redeemed me. God brought me out of Egypt, out of the bond of slavery, of sin. He, he cleaned me up. He, he set me free. He took me out from under the curse of sin. And, and God has blessed my life and he's given us all of this. And all that we have is because of God. And so that's why I give. That's why I give because I've been redeemed. That's why I cheerfully give. It's not a, it's not a, God's pulling my teeth and give me all your money and all this. And no, God, thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for bringing me out of Egypt. That's why I'm going to give you the first of my first fruits. That's why I'm a cheerful giver. That's why I cannot give enough to God because of all that God has done for me. And when your children ask you why you do that, don't just say, oh, that's what God wants. There's a story behind it. There's a story, there's a memorial behind why we even give at church. It's because God has redeemed us. Uh, God, that is why we go to church. That is why we clap our hands. That is why we sing unto the Lord. Why? Because God has been too good to me. God has blessed me. God has redeemed me. And so who am I not to give back unto God? And that is why Proverbs says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thy increase. That's why we give back to God because he's given us an increase in our life. He's blessed us when we should not have been blessed. He's redeemed us when we should have died in our sins. And so that's the least that we can do is just to give back God a little bit what he's asking for. I know that this isn't really the, the, the way to end the, the series, Possessing Your Promises, but I believe that God is, is taking us into a promised land this year, uh, and we can't forget about God once we get there. That's what happened with the Israelites. They forgot about this. They stopped doing all the feasts and the first fruits and uh, stopped offering offerings and, and tithing to God. And, and they forgot about God once they got all the blessings. And, and so uh, whenever we go into our new territory, whatever God blesses you with or open doors with and how excited we get about all this new stuff or whatever, we cannot forget about the first fruits. We cannot forget about God and Him getting what He wants from us. And so uh, to, the, to cross the Jordan, we've come so far in our life to get to this point. And uh, only to cross over the Jordan and to start seeing the promises of God being fulfilled. And man, we waited so long. We prayed for so long. And we're starting to see answers, answered prayer happening. God's fulfilling things. And then... We don't want to start losing battles. We don't want to get into the promised land and start becoming a curse like Achan and because we're forgetting about God. Yeah, we need God to get here, but while we're here, we don't need to forget about him and what he wants to do in our life. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm excited for what God has done and what He's take, where he's going to take us. But we just can't forget about him. Can't forget about the first fruits and what God has done for us. And as we sing unto the Lord tonight... Why don't we sing and clap our hands and rejoice? Thank him for what he's done. Thank him for where he's brought us from. Thank him for redeeming us. We are a blessed people, and we're going to keep on being blessed. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Praise, oh, shout with the voice of triumph.
good to us the voice of for us to forget about him. Shout unto God for the victory. Shout with the voice of triumph. He deserves our praise. Shout with the voice of praise. And shout. 